Welcome to the Voyager Podcast, hosted by Chris Fick and Brad Alexander. We're a weekly show about authentic faith in unlikely places. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We hope you're encouraged. Welcome back to the Voyager Podcast. My name's Brad Alexander. I'm here with the man, the myth, the legend, the Chris Fick. Hi, Brad. I'm happy to be back. <laughs> yes. And um, we have a special episode today, and um, I'm excited about it. It kind of was a last-minute addition, but we're like really excited because it just feels like the organic way this needs to go. And I'm going to let Chris do a proper introduction for, for reasons that will become known in a second here. Yeah, special. The most special in my eyes because this is the most special guests we could possibly have, again, in my eyes, my wonderful, beautiful wife of 15 years, Tori. Hi. So one of the interesting parts, because there's some stuff we want to get into today, but I think you come from a very similar scene as us. You grew up going to punk shows, to hardcore shows, you're immersed in the counterculture. You still love all that. But Chris and I kind of flew off the rails in different ways, Chris, with kind of some temper stuff and anger and me obviously eventually getting into drugs, things like that. But you walked a pretty straight path coming from a scene that was kind of plagued with, with problems at time. It was awesome, but it was also like had some problems. So I know we have some stuff we wanted to get into today, but I would love to just kind of give people a backstory on who, who Tori Fick is for anyone who doesn't know. Well, I was born in Laguna Beach and I lived in Orange County for two years and then we moved to Carlsbad and I've basically lived here the rest of my life. I mean, we moved around a little bit <clears throat> once I was married and stuff, but to Orange County where we met you. <laughs> yeah, that's um, true. But yeah, so I grew up in an amazing family. Um, my dad owned a construction company when I was little and then he became a youth pastor and then eventually a pastor when I was in like third grade. And um, I love my parents and I love my brothers so much. We had an amazing childhood. The way I got introduced to good music is actually through my dad because he, being like um, involved in the church world and stuff, he would take us to like go see Dogwood and like... That's so cool. Yeah. And like Switch, Switchfoot and like... Um, I never really got that into Switchfoot, but certain bands that he would take us to and like a lot of ska, ska shows <laughs> when yeah. we were kids. And so my childhood memories, like seriously, there was like we would go to church. We would like set up on the weekends because we'd be meeting in schools. And um, we did like almost everything as a family. And I remember like just listening to music, like fun music with my brothers playing Legos, like just being kids, my parents were like super loving. I always felt safe at home. Um, and then my dad loved the beach. So did my mom. And um, he would take us surfing like all the time. And so that was my dad's way of like hanging out with us. He was like very invested in us. And you started surfing at like a really young age, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, I got serious like sixth grade, I think. But before that, we would just like go screw around at the beach and stuff. And then you were on the surf team through high mm -hmm. school. Yeah. I think I've heard stories from Chris, maybe. 
Yeah, she she ha- we okay. found some trophies. <laughs> <laughs> that, that may say this about this. Tori does not like talking about her um, achievements in surfing, but they're pretty good. And I like bragging about it to people because I'm not good at surfing. And she is. Yeah, I love and it. And she says, oh, I don't surf anymore. And then she'll go walk the nose on the first wave <laughs> she catches. Yeah, no, we just, we we loved the beach. Like, we lo- we're always there skateboarding, surfing. I love my childhood. <laughs> I had such a good childhood. Yeah. That's like the childhood I want to give my kids too. Mm-hmm. Just immersed in like the good side of skating. Mm-hmm. If they want to surf or snowboard, all that stuff. It's really cool to hear. Because you've known the Lord like your whole life. Yeah. For the, for the most part. Yeah. As far back as you can remember type mm-hmm. deal. I was going to say, when did you like make that decision to follow My parents Jesus? say like I was young, like four I don't remember that moment, but I was young and I just don't ever remember not like talking about Jesus. Just always, he's always been a part of that. And I love that you brought up Dogwood because <laughs> I just, before the hardcore scene for me, like my freshman year, mm-hmm. sophomore year, it was like MXPX, Dogwood, Slick Shoes, mm-hmm. like all these really cool Christian punk bands that mm-hmm. were like, it was good music. But they were all also Christian, mm-hmm. and I didn't really, I wasn't a Christian at the time, but I loved the music. Yeah. And uh, you could go see them at, at local church shows, and it's like, it was a good environment. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone would still mosh and have fun, but it wasn't violent. There was never fights at those shows. It was just like a cool scene of things, you know? You know what's yeah. wild is we played Dogwood at like youth group. And now some of the kids come up to me like, who is this? Yeah, I heard you playing Never Die or like preschool yeah. days or yeah, something. Yeah, some of the guys yeah. were like, you know, they grew up listening or their dad's really into like Pennywise and stuff. And they're like, what is this? And you're like, yeah, it's right in that same era of music. And it's so it's like 2023 kids are still into it. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, it's it's packed with like such good lyrics. And I feel like a lot of those bands like shaped my thinking, you know, wanting things of the Lord, wanting like things that they're talking about, you know, just playing the CDs over and over and over. Like it was like in our in our family, it was those like kind of bands, oldies and K-Wave. <laughs> That's what we listened to. <laughs> yeah. Maybe like Supertones and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, Supertones. The, the ska yeah. scene. Yeah. Like my brother had a drum set in his room, like in third, fourth grade. I don't even know. But like just young and we just, we loved music. So. That's awesome. And then... As you get older in the high school, you, I know your brothers were in bands and, and it was a regular thing for you to go to like concerts and shows. Yeah. And- yeah. So my parents were very like open door house. Like we always had friends over, like my brothers and I, we always had people in our home and I loved that about it. It was like really fun. And some people were Christians, some weren't, but nothing bad was ever brought into our home. Um, but I just feel like as I transitioned into like high school, I like saw them party, the friends, you know, they started to party more and I didn't want any, like I never wanted anything to do with that. Um, what a blessing. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying this cause like, I'm not saying this for any weird reason, but I've never drinking alcohol. I've never done drugs. I've never like done anything and I've just never wanted it. I've been around it, but I've never wanted it. Um, so shows for me was like because I felt like I was labeled as a pastor's kid like Mm. good girl like which I am I'm a rule follower to my rules like I like my rules and my things (laughs) but other people's rules like I could be like I don't 
know about that one. Facts. But yes, <laughs> but I, I loved that scene because it was different and I liked to rebel against kind of like that party lifestyle of like, oh my mm. gosh, these people are so like, they're just doing it to be cool or whatever, you know, like I love that I still got to be a Christian and have my faith and that there were other people that were different and they wanted something different. And it just created this, like, you guys know this cool, like culture. I, we would go to shows and my brothers would go too. And like, we would just have all of our friends like there, you know, like it would just be fun, a fun thing to do. Five dollars. <laughs> oh, back in the day when they were five dollars. <laughs> Some random church having a show, and Dollar you're like, "Oh, I feel so bad for these walls." <laughs> I don't think we'll have any shows here. <laughs> I yeah, I couldn't see it happening. But I kind of grieve that maybe the next culture is different, and they're not even who knows. But that was such a big thing for me and my walk with the Lord. Like it was, it was huge. I like I get really nostalgic about that time especially lately kind of doing this podcast, talking about a lot of it. It's like there was a lot of really good times. And I'm sure some of it is like looking back through the Rose Tent where it's like I'm only remembering the good times because I know there was there was some pretty wild nights too. But there was something really special. And I think special about that era of that scene too because every era is slightly different. And I think the late 90s, early 2000s had like a really cool thing going on. I know you and Chris meet at Bible college. Did you graduate and know you wanted to go to Bible college like right away? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. <laughs> That's kind of crazy to think about though. Yeah, I think that was also my dad though too. He like took me to the campus and I was like, ooh. And I went to public schools. So I wasn't like homeschooled or I didn't go to Christian schools. I went to Carlsbad High where there was like a thousand kids graduating in our class or whatever, like a little shy of that. And so I was never really around a full culture of Christians. Like our church was always like on the smaller end, like, you know, like there was enough kids around where I had friends. But um, I remember going to like camps in the summer with our church. I was like shocked because I'd be like, there's this many Christians. And I think, too, that's why I was drawn to the music of like the bands that were Christians. And um, just because I was like, oh, there's more of us. You know there's more of you, but you're yeah. not necessarily around all of them all of the time. And I I loved school. Like, I loved going to school, but it was, like, such a social thing for me where I loved to yeah. be social. And I didn't necessarily care about what I was learning. It was like, oh, I just love these friends and I love these people. But it was so different and refreshing when I was around, like, Christians, you know? You are like kind of a rare breed. It gives me hope for my kids because <laughs> it's like I can't imagine or, or remember if that happened to anyone in, in the Orange County circle. But I'm like the idea of like where we were at at 18 going mm -hmm. to shows and whatnot. If one of my friends was like, I'm going to Bible college, I mm -hmm. think that would have been like, what? what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? It's just it's such a cool thing that you were immersed in that world, but also like desired the spiritual things yeah. and like wanted to go. And well, like increase knowledge and be around Christians. Mm -hmm. It's like really cool to hear that that can happen, mm -hmm. I guess. And at that time, though, my brother, my older brother had gone to Bible college. And there were a lot of like kids that were into the same music at Bible college. So it was still part of that world. Some of them had been in some bands. Even. Yeah. Yeah. It was like all the face down mm -hmm. crew. kind of. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Do you remember meeting Tori at school? Oh, yeah. I remember meeting Tori at school, yeah. That's... Had had you been at school for a while when you and Chris met, or did you meet, like, early on? Early. 
you were you already had a semester in. I did, but when you came, it was early on. Yeah, so yeah. I never I never lived on campus, so I didn't have the same experience she did. I was working at the packing house, um, and then I I would come on campus for like a day, a couple times a week, and then, but we'd made mutual friends. We're like hardcore kids from um, Montreal, like from Canada, and from Texas, and from all over the place. Anyway, it was one of the guy's birthdays at someone's house. And, um, we, uh, I showed up there and I saw a Tori and I was like, she had just jumped in the pool with all her clothes on. So she's wet. <laughs> uh, and, um, and I was like, Oh, she's kind of like nuts. I like that. Uh, good nuts. Um, and then I was eating a piece of cheesecake. Like it was a piece of pizza without a without a fork and knife. But you probably didn't think di- like anything weird of that, but no. that was like what I noticed from you. I was like, that guy's eating cheesecake, like pizza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I was so not kept. <laughs> I was like a, such a wild man. I think at that point. Um, yeah. And I, I immediately thought, no, she's too good for me. There's no way, but we had a conversation and anyway, her eyes were well, sparkling. Our friend Christy introduced us mm-hmm. Or she just brought something up, and then we were like, oh, and we started talking, and then just, you know, I thought you lived in that house. I didn't know you went to school, I don't think, at the Bible college. Yeah. And then later, we were in, I worked in the coffee shop on campus, and this girl was like, go look at this guy in the back of the coffee shop. I like him. And so I peeked back there, and it was Chris. (laughs) And I was like, oh, yeah. And then I remember we would bump into each other, and then we just started to fall in love we started to go look at christmas lights and that was like our thing <laughs> like oh yeah. let's go look at christmas lights or just hang out hang out whatever go to shows we went to some shows together even came out to redlands yeah Remember you brought you came... me to shows yeah, yeah out there oh out in redlands yeah mm-hmm. i brought her to some shows out in redlands we talked about this on a previous episode but um it's so cool that like you guys met at a school in Murrieta and Murrieta mm-hmm. really is like dead center between Carlsbad and Redlands. Mm-hmm. Like if you're driving the freeway, that's going to take you from one place to the other, mm-hmm. a, a pretty much dead center of your drive is where that school is. So it's like you guys meeting halfway and in a weird way, you know? 45 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. One way or the other. Yeah. And it's cool too, because like I was raised in Calvary Chapel where Chris got saved in Calvary Chapel so it's like even to be at Calvary Chapel Bible College like just I don't know it's just like sometimes you think about the chances of things like the fact that we happen to be there at the same time it's just all God and I even have a grandpa I love my grandparents and my grandpa was on the board at Biola and he wanted like his grandkids at least one of his grandkids to go to Biola and out of the seven of us none of us did (laughs) This and is I a think, different story if you had gone to Biola. And I huh? think, well, I think back, I'm like, gosh, like that would have been so cool to go to Biola then. I wasn't like academically minded, I guess, at the time. Like I just was like, I want to be a wife and have kids and be a mom and love Jesus and <laughs> learn the Bible. <laughs> so Biola was like less appealing to me, you know, where yeah. the Bible college was mo- more focused on the Bible and fellowship and all that stuff. So I was going to say, there's actually a part to that, me being there that semester was kind of like a wild thing too because I was at the packing house and I was like working a lot and um the senior pastor Ed Ray who I love very much he said to me he's like hey um I feel like you know you need to go back to Bible college I feel like you're supposed to go back and I was like really I was like okay I'll do like some online correspondence because he just wanted me to get 
equipped, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and he's like, no, I really think you should go on campus and, you know, we're going to help make that happen, you know, facilitate it so that your work schedule and so you can get there. And I like, he's been, he actually was, had a pretty prophetic voice in my life, uh, in some ways. And so I was like, okay, I like, I'll honor that, you know, just went for it. And I went and I met her within like a couple weeks. So uh, little did he know he was like pushing me out of working there because I ended up here. So, <laughs> yeah. kind of, but at the same time, I, I would have never gone that semester. There's, it was not on my radar to go back to school that semester because I'd taken a break. I, I was there for a couple years or a year and a half or something, part time, and then I'd taken a break, and then that made me go back, and then you know, mm. the rest is history. Yeah, so kind of, that's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Fifteen years and three kids later, like seventeen years together. Mm-hmm. So you guys get married mm-hmm. eventually, right? Oh mm-hmm. seven. What does life look like once you guys get married? Like you're at Marietta Bible College. You're living on campus? No. So what happened was we, I graduated. Chris has yet to graduate from there. I'm graduating with my master's degree. I know, I know, I know, I know. (laughs) So I graduated. um, Chris at that point had already moved down to Carlsbad and he started working for my dad (laughs) because my dad asked him to be our youth pastor. And so I was still at Marietta, but even the whole time, my two years at Marietta, I would drive home, be home on the weekends. So I was still around, you know, Carlsbad on the weekend. So Chris was living down here. He was like living in people's houses. People were generous, but it was like never like, you know, like free reign to a house. Like he had a room. I was couch surfing. You were, yeah, basically. I I literally lived on a couch for six months at one point. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've done that life. Yeah. So Chris is working for my dad. We're married and, um, he gets another job at outside of the church and still doing the youth. Um, but it wasn't necessarily where, what he wanted to be doing like long-term. And so we had a friend in Orange County ask if Chris wanted to come up there and do the youth. And I was pregnant with Cannon at the time and, you know, Orange County's not far. So we're kind of like, oh, like that kind of sounds fun. You know, like it was kind of fun. I've been in my dad's church my whole life. And so it was kind of like a thought of like, oh, it'd be cool to see something else, see the way, you know, other churches do it. It was a really, really good season. It was hard because Cannon was three weeks old when we moved up there. Um, but my dad basically was like, you guys should do it. Um, so there was like a blessing there. And so we we did. But yeah, Cannon was three weeks, our first week up there. And the first year was hard because moving anywhere is just hard. You know, you're just trying to find your rhythm. You have a new baby and you're trying to make friends while you're, you're a young mom. <clears throat> but um it was a really good season, and the season we spent at Kingsfield was so important. Like, okay. the things that we learned for coming back down here. My dad, he got sick. Um, he had dementia, and so he asked Chris. Um, that was so <laughs> the Lord, the way that, like, it was handed over because he handed it over to Chris um, before it got too bad. But um, we were more prepared because of our season at Kingsfield to come down and lead this church. And Chris and I were just talking. He was 33 when he took over this church. And we're like, oh my gosh, you were like, that's wild. Like 33. It didn't seem young at the time. No, it never does. Even some of the people when they were like, are you taking over as a young guy? And we're like, I'm not that young. And now I'm like 33. Yeah, that's pretty young to be taking over. That's awesome. And shout out to Aaron Hale, 
<laughs> because it, he prepared us for this season. And Here, Johanna. And Johanna, yeah, because he Aaron took over the church, and he like let me in on the details. Like he brought me in on a lot of stuff, and I didn't even realize how much of that I was gonna need later. It yeah. was kind of like he was using me as a sounding board for figuring stuff out. I think, and it was like really big, big help for me. That's cool. pretty cool. They're yeah. like a power couple. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I was just talking to him the other day, and um, yeah, it's funny. I don't know if I vocalized this, but Aaron Hale is probably the first pastor that I ever got close with and was transparent with and actually told him stuff going on in my life and like would allow him to speak into it. And I just like, he's such like a fatherly, like gentle guy, but will tell you kind of what you need to hear when you need to hear it at times. But I just, I think of that guy really fondly. And Johanna is like such a a wealth of knowledge on parenting advice and so much. Like they're awesome. They're from the packing house. So I, I started doing ministry with Aaron in like 2001, 2002. It's pretty wild. That's awesome. So you guys end up back in Carlsbad, and when you pick up here, um, Tori, your dad was kind of suffering some some stuff where he could no longer preach from the pulpit, right? It, it was like he had to step down, and the congregation here had gotten a little smaller by that point? or Yeah, I mean, also it wasn't... Dementia is confusing because you don't, he never even got a full diagnosis that he had dementia. So it's like, I mean, his mom had it, but she was like in her eight, she's an old lady, you know, when she had it in her eighties. And so to see a man like so young, like get it, yeah, that's confusing. So, um, my mom was, my mom's amazing and she was doing a lot of his, like she was gathering his sermons and like preparing them not prepare I don't think she was writing them but she was like maybe getting once he's done before and putting them in order and like you know all that stuff and then he would go up there and preach and she was like running the church at that time and so for um my dad to step down it's like when you've been doing ministry for so long and you this is like you you kind of have the church running the way you want it to run cuz you you're at that age where you have all that wisdom and yeah. like you're like full you're mature in the lord and like it's just it, it was kind of it was really heartbreaking and so we come down and my dad was he was he was he had definitely turned a corner at that point the when we came down he was pretty bad it was worse than yeah. we thought it was to some extent yeah although we'd seen them a lot it just it just was a season where he he really went downhill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As much as you're willing to like go into, can we talk about the daughter father perspective for a second? Because I know you saw your mom taking care of your dad, mm-hmm. but was it was it hard for you as the daughter to see your dad declining? Because mm-hmm. it's like your dad. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, because my dad was always the man that, like, no matter what happened, he would help me. Like. I, I've, I've only gotten one ticket in my life and it was the stupidest ticket, but I was at Bible college and I'd ran a red light turning and I like just barely missed it. And I called my dad and I was like, dad, I just got a ticket. I'm so sorry. And he's like, it's okay. I'll pay for it. And I'm like, I'll pay you back dad. And he's like, no, it's, it's okay. And we didn't have, <laughs> we didn't have a lot of money. Like we never had a lot of money growing up. And I was like, oh, and that's just who he was. Like my car would do an issue with my car and he'd be right there like to come alongside help he was always always there for me so it did break my heart to see him decline yeah that's an interesting season i guess because on one hand your husband's 
stepping into a new season. Mm -hmm. And that's probably exciting to some degree of like, Chris is becoming the pastor over a church. And that's like exciting of like, okay, what does that look like? But on the other hand, it's the end of the season of your dad running the church. And I could see how that's probably complex to like process. Yeah. Well, in the process too, he, with dementia, it's like he kind of forgot he handed the church to Chris. Uh, So there's, it's my husband and my dad and I love them both so much. And so it's just, it's such a awful disease, Um, especially like in the weird dynamic that we had going on, like with just taking over the church. And then I'm having Hazel. I had Hazel, you know, during that time. And so it's like this like really joyful season, but also this like really heartbreaking season. Yeah, she was pregnant when we moved back and they didn't even, nobody really knew. We knew, but like it was, it was like on top of it all, also pregnant. <laughs> but there were little things in that. Like I remember, um, cause we, we wanted our third baby and God just wasn't like allowing that she wasn't like, we just kept not getting pregnant. And so it took like two years. And one night, Cannon and Violet prayed that us and our other friends would have, would get pregnant and have babies because we both wanted them. And that next month we found out we were pregnant and same with the other couple. And I had a friend at Kingsfield, Kelly, text me and said, Hey, I just like, felt like the, I forget if it was a dream or if she felt like the Lord told her there's somebody in our church that's pregnant and is going to have a baby and it's going to be a little girl. Is it you or Danielle? And I'm sitting there thinking we're both pregnant, but I didn't know if we were going to have a girl till we had her. Cause we didn't know, we didn't find out if she's going to be a boy or a girl. And then I was like, Oh my gosh, that was, that dream was Hazel. There were always like little things that the Lord was there and he was with us and he was like, he was showing himself. Like, so I feel like those little seeds always were like planted in the right time to give us like, okay, the Lord's with us, even in like the fun little reminders that, you know, he's not going to leave us or. Yeah. That, that season was heavy. It was like such a heavy season. Like, if, like looking back, I feel like you kind of, when you're in a season, you kind of can't tell what it is. But then when you look back at the season, you, um, you kind of have a gauge for what you felt in that season. And that season was like. It was really heavy. It was. It took a lot out of us, in a sense. I yeah, think. and I feel like we're I, we were right on the cusp of that because we're still in a hard season. It's lightened up a bit, but um, I feel like growing up, I had like not hard life. Like I feel like I remember in high school there was like a stress test we had to do for health, and like you check off these boxes, and I'm like, oh, like no, 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 and like I just was like, wow, I have such an easy life. And I feel like for ministry, obviously you, nobody's going to go through everything. And I, like, God forbid, I have to face, there's some things that you just don't want to face. But if we were to walk into leading this church and like being in the position we are and not having to go through any trials, it like, what's the depth of like our ministry? Like, how can we really say like, oh, I like feel for you if we hadn't had to go through certain things. Like we went through a miscarriage, our first baby, and that was so hard. And I never knew what women went through when they went through miscarriages until we lost our baby at 13 weeks. And like- After we told everyone. The day, I was just telling the story, the day after we told everyone, and then I had to go and I'm the kind of person that doesn't like attention. And I didn't want like, I, I just didn't want to make this big scene. And it's like, actually we're not. And then, you know, that's hard. And you just have like all these things pile on top of you. Chris was actually working 
uh, he was the youth pastor at Calvary Carlsbad, and then he was working for one of his good friends in the desert, and he was digging ditches out there. Yeah, underground uh, uh, pipeline, yes. electrical. So he would drive out to, where would you go? I would stay in like Beaumont, and then we would drive out to India or, oh, or, or no, Blythe. We were doing Blythe for That's a while. like three and a half hours from here. So. Yeah, so I w- I'd be gone. I would leave on a Sunday night to mm-hmm. get out there and then work all week, and I'd get home on a Friday night. So we had like a day together, <laughs> and um, that would lasted like six weeks or something. Yeah. Yeah. So in the midst of that time, right before I think we found out I was going to have a miscarriage, and we go to the ultrasound, and the doctor said, you have a blighted ovum, which is when the baby stops de- um, developing at, like, a young age, but your body's still acting pregnant. And so he's like, you'll probably miscarry in, like, a week. And so that was heartbreaking news. This is our first baby. You're like, what's going on? I don't even know what a blighted ovum is. I don't really know too much about miscarriages. My mom had one for her first baby, too, but... I don't know too much, you know, and so you're anticipating something that's going to come that's horrible. And so and also our good friend came into town that day, Jessica from Maine. She came in and we were hanging out with her and trying to kind of like numb out like our brains to not think about the fact that we're about to lose our baby. Um, So claim jumper. We went to claim jumper to try (laughs) to eat eat our way through our our way through our feelings. (laughs) So you know, there's this dark cloud above you of the unknown. And Chris has to leave um, Sunday night to go out to Beaumont to go work in the desert. I start having the miscarriage the next, so Monday, Monday morning. And I'm like, okay, he's gone. I, I tell him, I'm like, okay, this is like happening. I don't know what to expect. I'm alone in our apartment. My parents are close by, but I'm just like, you know, I'm also like, I'll, I'll do it. I'll get through it. Um, so weird. I wake up that morning. There's a dove on our balcony. And growing up, my mom was always like, look at the doves. They remind me of the Holy Spirit, you know, because we kind of like use those two as like yeah. the Holy Spirit. And so whenever there were doves on our fence in our backyard growing up, she'd be like, oh, it's like the Holy Spirit. Not weird, not saying that is the Holy Spirit, but just like saying it's it's a reminder. And so I wake up. I've never once seen a dove on our balcony before. And so I'm like, there's a dove on our balcony. And I think I took a picture. I have pictures. And I like sent it to Chris or whatever I told you. And all day long from morning until night, there is a dove on our balcony and I've never seen it on our balcony. So I'm like, oh my gosh, that's just absolutely crazy. And I have pictures throughout the day and everything. And they're morning doves. They're doves that, um, you know, it was like a seasonal thing, but it just had never been on our balcony. And so that was like the Lord was there. And I just was like, I hated that I was alone because I am the kind of person, we were talking about this on Sunday, I was talking with you guys, and how I'm not the type of person to go eat by myself or like go to a movie by myself or do anything by myself. I like to have a person with me. I like to have Chris with me Um, or I would always have like a best friend or whatever. And so I'm here alone and the Lord was like, you need to rely on me. Like I am with you. And it was like so clear. And I don't think I've ever had to do anything to that extreme on my own. And he took me through like the entire process, him and I, when I felt like it was like too much for me to carry, like I almost felt him like audibly telling me like, you need to look to me first because you haven't been looking to me first. Like, and it was like, 
it was wild. And then for Chris, on Chris's end of it, like he's like, my wife is going through a miscarriage. And it was like a brutal miscarriage because it it was 13 weeks, you know? And so he's like thinking she's doing this by herself. Like, I want to be there with her. I'm her like husband, you know? And so it just was like pretty brutal for both of us. But we both had to like be like, okay, the Lord's with both of us and he's leading us. Yeah, I felt like a, actually felt like a failure. Um, and I was very angry with the timing because I hadn't started, we knew for like over a week and it was like praying it would happen before I left so I could be there. It's a weird thing to pray for, you know, but like, um, then when she said to me, like, um, the dove thing and then that the Lord, it was me and the Lord, it had to be, I felt immediate peace. Like, because I just was like, yeah, this is, this is between her and God. And, and I, it was amazing to have that peace. The other part of that season was the reason I was out there in the desert was the church wasn't doing well financially. It was the crash, the financial crash. Like, was it like 2010, 2009, something like that. And so there was no money. And I was, I was, we were broke and we were trying to figure out how to pay rent. And in that season too, there was envelopes with cash that were coming through the, uh, the mail, there was someone who had put a thing. I don't know if I shared this in another episode. I can't remember, but uh, an envelope in our door and said, right before I left, happy Valentine's Day, take your wife out to eat. And so there's all kinds of really wild things where God was just like showing us. And I, I feel like you see God so clearly in when you really need him, when you're really hurting, that's where you you get a chance to see him do something. And there's a sense where it's chaos, but there's the most peace you could possibly have because you go, there's nothing I can do about this. Like, I can't even get back to her in time at this point. And then I'd have to come back. I don't know what to do, you know? So uh, it was pretty radical. And and that story's helped throughout the years. We've met a lot of people who've had miscarriages. Um, and Tori's been able to minister to them how she wished people would minister to her. And the people who had the best who did the best with that were people who had been through it also. Mm-hmm. Uh, even people you don't know as well, that they'd come alongside and be like, we get it. We actually know. And she would listen to that. Um, that's part of going through it. Yeah, together. <laughs> that's why we need each other. We need this fellowship. We need the unity. We need to be like hanging out. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the contrast of like growing up, super easy to like – having to face storms and God refining you through it. And that's kind of what you want to talk about. I think yeah. that, that that's a really valuable thing uh, because you go, oh man, you know, yeah, everything sounds good, but the the storms come. Mm-hmm. Like the storms come, the rain falls on the just and the unjust, like the trials come, you know, it's like you build on the right foundation, you'll be able to stand the storms and the winds and everything that's coming. But um, to actually go through that from like easy to like a season of hard, um, I think that's that's worth really diving into. Right. Yeah, I think the statement you just made too, you've got to know what you believe so that you're not rocked when life doesn't go your way. Mm-hmm. And when Jesus talked about building on the rock, building on the foundation, he doesn't say the storms don't come. He says when they come, mm-hmm. the house won't fall. And he talked in metaphors and parables all the time because they're easy to understand. And that's really easy to understand. It's like the rain is going to come. Mm -hmm. But how is the house built when the rain hits? And depending on, we kind of had talked about this before, is like 
what are we talking about today? And it's, I think the summary is like, how do you remain faithful when life doesn't go your way? So it's, it's the journey. And I think the perspective you can offer our listeners is someone who kind of like you, you didn't have some crazy life and get into drugs and were homeless and all these things. Like you had a great family and you guys are tight knit. Like to this day, like you guys are pretty tight knit, right? You didn't really get into a lot of trouble and you went to Bible school. You've done really great things, but it doesn't mean that your life has been completely cruiser easy, right? You still had storms. And I think talking about those is really encouraging because we all have storms in life. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how do you deal and navigate that? So can you um, maybe walk us through some of the stuff that's happened in, in recent years and we can start unpacking kind of how you guys and Chris too, but how, how you guys have processed through some of that and dealt with it. Yeah. So we, when we moved back down here to do the church, like we said, my dad's health was declining. My mom had taken care of her mother-in-law with dementia. So she lived with them. And then my dad's health's declining. Then my grandparents that lived in Whittier. So my mom's parents decided to move down here so that my mom could take care of them also. Because my grandma didn't want to go into like a home. She's like, I'd rather be with family. And so my mom's like, well, we can all live together. And so um, at this point, my um, dad's mom had passed. And um, so my mom and her parents and my dad are all living in this home. And my mom's caretaking all of them, which, you know, at this point, they don't need it as much. Like, and they're such a joy. My grandparents love the Lord so much. Um, my grandpa ends up passing at 88 and he was just like amazing. Like, a, a rock. Yeah. yeah. He was like a, a legend. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's like, he was like so funny and so smart. Like he was a Dodger fan, <laughs> him and Chris. Yeah, that's why he's just so great. <laughs> <laughs> he was. Uh, On the board at Viola, yeah. as you mentioned. Yes. Just like. For me, my grandpa was like a smile. Like he just always had a smile. He's super tall. And he just like was the best. Like we have the same color eyes. Like he's just my, like, I just love him. He's, and, well, yeah, sorry. Go no, ahead. go. What were you saying? I would say he's super well read. Yeah. He would love to sit down and have a conversation and break down anything and have like, I just felt like it was like sitting with a commentary almost like when you talk with him he was wow. just such a like a wise man and he wasn't afraid of like talking about ideas and he was so caring and loving and mm -hmm. full of grace oh, I, cool, I loved man. hanging out with bill he was he was the man mm -hmm. yeah he went to beverly hills high <laughs> um so he him and i we had like a special relationship like we had this imaginary friend even till we were i was an adult like we would joke about like just everything is um, he in the room right now <laughs> I'm just kidding. Imaginary friend. <laughs> oh, our imaginary friend? Yeah. He's half frog, half bird, so he sleeps in our ears. Oh man. <laughs> okay. That sounds fun. Yeah, we would pass him we would pass him you back and forth. You made it this far. <laughs> um so anyways, and then my grandma was like Everybody called her Mary Tyler Moore when she was like back in, when my mom was a kid. She was just like the perfect, beautiful like woman, like a elementary school teacher, just amazing. So anyways, so my grandpa passes, then um, my grandma just passed this year, but in, in between them, the two of them, my dad passes and that was brutal and hard. Right. Um, and so my mom took care of them all till the end. So um, the hardship of losing all of them 
it just was like a brutal like four years. And it's like I know grandparents die. That's you get older and you die. That's the way life is. But it just was like their home was just hard. Like it was like so exciting to go see them and talk with them. But then you anticipate, I know you're getting, I like see the signs. Like, and I was with my dad the day before and my grandpa the day before. And then my Nana up until a couple hours before she passed. And I will say this in the season of death and the season of um, grief that we were in, like I've drawn so close to the Lord and going back to Aaron and Johanna, Johanna gave me a book called heaven at my dad's memorial service. And it Mm. gave me like a lot of the answers that I have been asking, like, you know, our generation, it's like most people grow up and we're kind of confused on what heaven is. Like, what's next? Like, we know it's with God. We know it's good. There's so many scriptures we know, but it's still like, but there's so many things I don't know. Like, it gave me that kind of like spark to go even deeper and to find more books and to like really search out the scriptures and be like, what is this place that we are all trying to get people to go to with us? So it was like this season of death and sadness of the believers in my family that drew me to want to go deeper with Christ and to kind of like not just rely on other people's answers for my questions, to like find them myself. And it's like, you know that when someone's older, they're going to pass. But I still think to some degree, especially if if you were really close with them, it's like, seasons changing i'm very nostalgic sentimental Mm -hmm. so the change of seasons i think is like really hard if you're used to going to someone's house your whole life and all of a sudden it's like oh but they're gone now i could see how that would be at any age really Mm -hmm. hard to be like okay they're gone now and to have it rapid stack up four years that's a that's a very short timeline to have you know yeah i was gonna say it took a toll physically on you well i was just gonna say that too so in the meantime it was like I'm homeschooling the kids, which at that point they were easier, younger, younger grades than current, but still it's like you learn with it. Right. So it's like, it's still hard in the beginning because you're like learning through it all. And then you have this role as a pastor's wife and I've been a pastor's kid my whole life. And you just feel like everybody's kind of looking at you and they're probably not as Mm. much as you think they are, but still like you're trying to like hold it together. And like my personality, I'm, I, I don't have to be perfect, but I just, I don't want to be vulnerable when I don't want to be vulnerable. You know, like that's probably all of us. You know, we all have our limits on things. And so it's just like you still have to show up every Sunday, which I wanted to, but you're going through something. So you're like, oh, but this is like hard. And so I seriously like got to a certain point where there were like so many like little traumas in the midst of the big trauma that like were eating at me. And like even dude social media during those years was when I feel like it was more near the end, but it was like when all of these Instagram accounts were coming out where it was like, and I'm a healthy person. Like I take pride in that, but like, it was like, if you're not doing this, this, and this, that's why you're getting this, this, and this disease. Or you're like, it's like all this like fear. It was crazy. Like one of my friends was like, <laughs> follow this account, like to get like, cause they're doing like this parasite cleanse. And like, I'm like, oh, cool. And then I'm just like looking at her videos and I'm like, oh my gosh, this girl is like, like saying like all these things, you should fear this, this, and this. And I'm like, is that really how we're supposed to live? But for like two months, I would like kind of follow along on these Instagram accounts. And I just was like, 
this is like making my mind crazy. How can people follow these accounts? And like, it got to the point where I was like, there's no way. Cause I don't even follow people. I don't know really, you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of like a friend. I like to see what my friends are doing, but I was just like, wow, this is such a trap. And then I started thinking I was like legit sick. Like I thought I was like dying at one point. It was before my dad had passed, but I just felt like the stress had gotten so like just piled so high and I'm not like a run to the doctor person at all but I was like I need to make a doctor's appointment like what's this mole what's this what's that like and you're just like every little thing and I just it it peaked to the point of like oh my gosh like all my labs are good I'm good I'm like I'm fine but I'm cannot deal with stress and my adrenals were so shot that I had all the symptoms of like adrenal fatigue and I just was like this is overload and I had to like give it to God and he I can't even tell you he took it like it was almost like overnight like I feel like he took it when I fully surrendered like okay I can't carry my dad like my dad if he gets better he gets better I can't carry that. My mom, all that she's carrying, I can't carry that for her. People that are constantly telling me, do this, do that. Like, I need to like, let it go. Like people always asking how he's doing, like with such a stress on me, which they're coming in with a beautiful heart, like wanting to know how, how people in my life were doing. But it was like, to the point where that's all we're talking about. Like, that's so unhealthy to like, only be talking about somebody dying. You know, like, and I'm trying to raise my kids and I'm trying to like school them. And I'm like, what is math? <laughs> and I just couldn't like focus. So it, it just was like, it was heavy, but it was like the Lord brought me. It was only, he could only, it was only him. He's the only one that could bring me out of that. So it was like removing myself from toxic, like platforms, from toxic, like environments, like putting a limit on the conversations I have with people. And, um, just taking it to God and digging deep in his word. I think obviously that's the key. And getting sleep, I think to some extent too, right? <laughs> getting some rest. Because you in this process, the other part is, and you're happy to do it, and it's like a, a place we have in the in the in the church. And Galatians talks about bearing one another's burdens. Yeah. You were bearing your mom's burdens too. Right. In this process. Because you're the only person in a sense that's like right there with her. So you've got your heavy load, and then you're helping your mom out. If you start um, internalizing all that, mm-hmm. it becomes really, really, really gnarly. It becomes like double grief. Right. And that's kind of like where you got. And it was wild because Tori is like, get up, go, hard worker, like super gnarly, like just just get it done, boom, 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 to like, I can't move. Like, I can't get out of bed. And it was like, there's nothing wrong with you. Like, you knew there was nothing wrong, but like how much – but then again – this is where we get compassion for people oh, going absolutely. through these kind of things. Yeah, absolutely. And in all the chaos, you're trying to stabilize, and it's causing like uh, like physical yeah. symptoms. Where's your spiritual walk at that point? Before you surrender to God, like, are you still like in prayer in the Word? Like, yeah. So it, it's not like it stumbled your faith. It's just you're you're kind of spiraling in the reaction of everything that's happening to you. Yeah. So my, my, my walk was good. I, um, I just think that as a young mom, we struggle with our balance of like 
time to even think our own thoughts and to obviously to pick up the Bible and to pick up a book. That's hard when you're a, when you're like waking up when your baby wakes up or waking, you know, like having your own moment is like a really hard thing. So it was like even you're always trying to readjust your life. I'll start this thought and I think Chris could bring way more depth to it. But um, because I know um, there's some people that listen to this podcast that like maybe you're unsure of like where they're at with God or that. And I think sometimes like as Christians, we're very comfortable talking about like, how was your prayer life? How was your Bible life? And maybe to someone who doesn't know God, that sounds like ritualistic. If you don't read the Bible, you might assume that it's just a series of like commandments or it's, it's a book of laws. And actually it's more a book of stories. Mm-hmm. And as Tommy said in his episode, you get to, take someone else's life and experiences and learn from it without having to go through it. Or sometimes you are going through it and you see the stumbles, the falls, and there's so much application. And also it's like, I could read like first Peter and two years later, read first Peter and like completely like a verse jumps off the page. And I'm like, that applies to me so much right now. And I don't even remember ever reading that verse before. Mm -hmm. Cause when you're in the storm, reading the Bible gives comfort it brings application it brings encouragement it you know in certain times of our life it even brings correction where you're like oh man like i'm off right now or there's promises of god in there that we can grab onto and our prayer life helps stabilize us mm-hmm. it's kind of cool that like as you're going through it your walk isn't compromised but um you're still in the chaos of it and this happens to us sometimes but you were self-aware enough to to s- take a step back and realize like wait this, this, what's happening right now isn't normal. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest struggle sometimes, especially if you're sucked in social media, all these things. We know that we don't feel well. Mm. We know that things in our life are toxic, but a lot of people, it's like, but I'm just going to keep going through the motions. And it's like, you being self aware, like, I just want to encourage people. That's a really awesome thing to step back and be like, wait a second, I need to recalibrate. The, yeah, the word of God, there's, which we call the word of God, the Bible, right? The scriptures, it's like this this collection, right, of books, a bunch of little, like, small books, but when you understand, like, the narrative throughout, through all, all kinds of different literary styles, it, there's a narrative that is so beautifully well told again and again and again and again, and it's, like, woven throughout human failure and God's response and grace to... So that's, like, kind of, like, when we talk about the Bible, it's, like, we see God in this, we see a way to becoming closer to God, and it penetrates our hearts. That's the idea of uh, Hebrews 4, 12, the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So it's like, it's this great synopsis of all that God's done, and then fulfilled in Jesus, like, so like written thousands of years before the perfect fulfillment. And we like, the the more you look at it, the more you see the fulfillment. But then also when you go to it, you get that big picture and then you get insights into your own life that like cut so deep, but in a really good way, like a surgeon that's removing cancer from your body. So that's like kind of the idea. And in prayer and reading the Bible, it's not a rich, ritualistic, weird thing, but it's like literally communicating with a God that says he wants to communicate with us 
um, that's, that wants us in and wants to like meet us in that place. So that's kind of like the idea. I know that's, uh, but especially if you don't know, yeah, you might hear all this and go, man, I don't know about all this, but I'm thoroughly convinced that we have a God that wants to know us and wants us to know him. And how do you get to know someone? You spend time with them and you let them tell you who they are. Right. Amen. Yeah. So how does God start meeting you, Tori, in this place? Yeah. So I, um, I'm hurt that they're dying. And so I'm feeling these feelings so deeply. And that's just why I was so like sad. And I just was like, Lord, like, this is wild. Like, why, why are we in this season? And there's other things that were happening in this season too, you know, that, I don't need to go into, but that really hurt us as well. And like I said, you're kind of like on this platform, this like, you know, people are watching you, you know, it's not like we could just hide out. Um, and this pictures that that's painted about, you know, we all have pictures painted about us by people around us. They think, oh, you're this person or you're this person. Oh, like, so they put you in this little like box. And I think for me, a lot of the people that go to our church have gone to our church for a long time since I was a kid. So they kind of see me as a kid, but now I'm walking through something that's a little more adult, like a little more like, okay, like I have, like I'm, I've been hurt and I like am going through something and people have been really, really, really cool, you know, like coming around us and loving on us, um, which was amazing. And so it's like, I think that, uh, me trying to guard myself and protect myself from people, I don't necessarily think people were ever trying to hurt me, but I think that Satan wanted me to kind of like pull back and to hide and to close off. But I don't think I was ever really supposed to do that Mm -hmm. because there's beauty in going through something with other people, especially when you're like not going to go away from the Lord. Like when you're going to remain in the Lord, like I wasn't going to go anywhere else. Where would I go? Nothing else is there's nothing else there. So it's like to remain in the Lord um, and to be with the people that also are remaining in the Lord and love the Lord and let them like love on me. Uh, even when I didn't necessarily, Chris knows, I'm just like, I can, I'm not closed off. I'm in a, in a conversation, I'm open, but to a mass group of people, I, I'm particular, I guess, on what I open up myself too. I think part of that is being a pastor's kid. Yeah. Because I I'm think sure. you were you were you didn't have a choice probably a lot of times on what was said. Yeah. Like I remember in junior high the first time I wanted to dye my hair hot pink. Uh I think I was like actually sixth grade. And my dad said, No. And I said, Why? And he's like, Because people look at you. You're a pastor's kid. And I said, yeah, but what about the other kids that want to serve God that want to dye their hair hot pink? And so then guess what? The next day he let me dye my hair hot pink. Yeah. And then my dad's like, maybe I'll dye my hair too. <laughs> so it was like, cool. But yeah, I did feel... cool dude. I know. See, and that's why it was so hard. Hard to let go of this man. But I'll see him again in heaven and he's enjoying heaven right now. And that's pretty cool. But um, yeah, I don't know why I was wanting to be closed off to people, but I was. And then when God was like, no, like let yourself like be, be here. Come be around people and like cry in front of people if you have to cry in front of people and like, you know, be real. And so I just feel like that's how God really spoke to me. And then I feel like the kids got a little older and I got back in my rhythm of Bible time and reading really good books that ministered to my soul. Your mom's taking care of everyone and then it took a toll on her and you physically have watched your mom kind of go through it too. And, And as 
the last of the three kids locally in the area, mm-hmm. you've kind of taken the role of, of helping take care of your mom to some degree too, right? Yeah. Has that been so they, rough? Yeah. So they say a lot of times the caregiver goes before the person they're caring for. Now, my mom is still alive and she has got so much to give. Like oh, yeah. she's amazing. She's a rock, but you can definitely tell the toll that giving her life like for these people has taken because she's especially with two people that had three people that basically had dementia um that's hard like because you're dealing with people that just don't like my dad didn't even recognize my mom at the end like so there's these like really traumatic things that have happened to her and i love my mom so much we chris and i love her so much she's just she's amazing yeah yeah she's absolutely amazing um but see that's a little trauma too because now people are how's your mom and what, it was with just my dad. How's your dad? Oh, right. like, so it's like tra- traumatizing to me. And I like, I'm such like a protector of people. I feel like, like I'm always trying to like guard their reputa- reputation guard like who they are. And so. Any vulnerabilities. Yeah. yeah. This is, this is a therapy session for me, I guess. <laughs> uh, but like, yeah. So like her being like that vulnerable state, cause my mom was always so youthful, so young. So like, just my mom's a free spirit peacemaker, like a rock like in high school i remember coming downstairs and she'd just be re- at the table reading her bible <laughs> she's just like solid and so um but yeah there's trauma in it and i don't know like if i know she has many years because she's healthy but i just don't know like will god fully restore her health i don't know that but god does and god has a purpose and a plan for her and just what she's done is absolute beauty and taking care of somebody i think we i think we shy away from that in our culture too is like letting ourselves take care of somebody to the point of like harm to us costing you something and it costed her and it's like beautiful that's really where the depth to life comes in and i think just um everything post 2020 feels like a different world than it was before navigating tragedy as a Christian is one that I don't remember ever being talked about. Mm -hmm. And now it's like talking about it a lot because there's just a lot going on and there's been a lot of death in recent years. And some of it's like unexpected tragedies and just crazy stuff. And I feel like God will see, meet you in that place and help walk you through, but that doesn't mean that it's not going to still be hard, but also like, we just want to encourage people and have compassion on people. Like don't, don't give up. Don't, don't bail on it, you know? Well, I think it's like we're all individuals. And so it's like I could say, you know, obviously this is to everybody to stay and stick with it and keep pursuing the Lord because he's pursuing you. Um, But we all have different things that like draw us in, whether it be like, don't stop, don't turn off your worship music, keep playing your worship music. Or like, you know what, take that extra 30 minutes and instead of doing that other thing, read your Bible or like ask your good friend or pastor that is like solid and in the word, like some good books that can minister to your soul. Like whatever, like your interests are like, you know, music or or reading or whatever, like spend time with the Lord, like carve out time. Cause it's like, we all carve out time to like hang out with our friends or work out or whatever. It's like the top of the list is to go after your spiritual life because that's what's, that's what, that's what it's all about. So to put that last, like a lot of us do, and I've been there for sure. It's that's, that's not like the spot to be like, we got to put that first. It's like the priority. 
And then it should all align. I mean, obviously, like, life is hard and trials come and we could be discouraged in that too. But it's like that's not going to go wasted. I think as a whole, trials last a lot longer than you think they're going to. And they're a lot more brutal, I think, than you think they're going to be. That's why they're the trials. And James talks about that, like, consider it joy, when you, brothers and sisters, when you experience trials, because knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance or patience, um, and the endurance or, again, patience have its full effect that you may, become, may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Tommy's episode, we talked a lot about, like, give, give God time. Um, and Brad, you you touched on this. I think a major issue in the church is the is man. We've made sh- church a spectacle that's all about you feeling good all the time, and it just does not align with what we know the first church to be. And and so it, it was a community that was dealing with very real things often and seeking God together in community. And so like a church where you can find that of people who are real going about real things together, one of the things you'll find out is more people have experienced what you're going through than you think, mm-hmm. right? Having We've noticed that, right, Tori? And then you get to be one of those people too, a recipient of that. We had a, I don't know if I've shared this one before, but um, family in the youth group when I was, yeah, I had two boys in the youth group in Redlands and um, their dad fell off of a ladder and died in front of the youngest and it was he was a, like an amazing guy, like loved the Lord so much, and it was just a, amazing. You're like, what in the world is going on, you know? Um, and the mom was awesome. We used to have discipleship at her house, but she ended up having like a widow's ministry, where she would minister, be ministered to, and minister to other women who had gone through it. And she said, I would have never chosen chosen this path. And anytime you talk to her about her husband, she'd start crying, you know. 10 years later, but it was like uh, she had been given a, a way in to use it for the glory of God and to allow that pain not to go away, but to help somebody else, you know, meet people where they're at. And so Jesus, that's Jesus. He's a high priest that can sympathize with all of our weaknesses. And so he he gets it. He knows all the stuff we go through. And so, right? Yeah. And even that verse that you just read was right when we moved back down here, the kids or canon, I guess, for his kindergarten memory verse was that verse. And I was like, that's a funny verse for a kindergartner. And then I was like, oh, it's a little prophetic of the season that we were heading into. A lot of times when we go through things, our first thought is like, God left us in the dark. We're going through it. And God is like, he's doing something else. He's not around. And it's like, that's why we read the Bible and trials, because the Bible reminds us like, no, God's still here. Mm Mm-hmm. I just encourage people that even in the tough stuff, it's like, just trust God. Life is messy. Like this world is, is it's full of beauty and it's full of pain and, and sorrow produced by sin. Um, and Jesus says he's bringing forth the kingdom. And so it's begun and we're in the process, but we're also still living in a world where things are really hard and dark and so it's messy. I and mean, we just saw the Jesus Revolution movie, and it was it was gnarly. I, I remember I was just like, man, this was messy. And everything that God does, a friend of mine, Kellen Criswell, who hopefully we'll have on soon. I think we will uh, next season. Um, he said, "There's there's only one kind of person, and it's the messy kind." Yes. And it's like there's only one kind of 
everything's messy. And so to think of life being just super compartmentalized and simple and easy, it's not reality. Um, but letting God meet you in the mess, kind of like we were talking about with Tommy, brings beauty from ashes. And if we allow God time and space to work stuff out and to trust him, that he's, he's the author and the finisher of our faith, then it allows him to, to take us through stuff and then on the other side to, like that promise was in James, to mature us or perfect us. And it would, that we'd be come out on the other side, like with a better idea of who he is and why we're here and how we can love people in the midst of pain and sorrows too. So um, I will just say this also, my wife has done an incredible job working through all this stuff. And are there people who've gone through like gnarlier stuff for sure, but like you don't, you don't like minimize what it's been. It's been hell in so many ways, but to watch her do this super, super well and to continue to trust God through it and to see her like light shine in the midst of like darkness um, and then to see it on the other side. And she's like a, a woman of God. Like she, she was always, but she's like a woman established in it. And so I like, and who would know better than me? I'm like, you know, live with her. <laughs> so I, I just want to honor that and and say thank you so much for sharing and thank you for being my super awesome, beautiful wife. <laughs> thank you. If you're going through something hard right now, um, we have a contact form on our Instagram at The Voyager Podcast. Um, feel free to reach out to us if you have questions or if it's theology, if it's season-based stuff. Uh, we're a bunch of open books over here, so... If you're going through it and you need encouragement or you have questions about God or the Bible or whatever it is, like reach out. Um, and thanks for listening. And thank you, Tori, for being transparent and open. And we look forward to seeing you in the next one. Thanks for tuning in to the Voyager Podcast. If you'd like to reach out, you can reach us through Instagram at the Voyager Podcast or through contact at calvarycarlsbad.com. We hope this has been encouraging for you. Until next time.